Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a day I've been looking forward to for two and a half years. We're really proud of Timeline. <laughs> We're going to reimagine Windows. Microsoft is announcing the breakthrough game console called Xbox. We've created a platform attuned to consumers' changing behaviors and an evolving sense of play. We set out to make the best watch in the world. And today, we're introducing Nexus 7. This is it, Xbox One. And we are calling it iPhone. The latest news, the newest products, the biggest names. Welcome to Your Tech Report, online at yourtechreport.com. Join Mitchell Whitfield and Marco Flalo for the next hour of Your Tech Report. And welcome to it. I am Marco Flalo in beautiful Montreal, Quebec. Mitchell Whitfield, as always, joining us in Los Angeles. Mitchell, how are you this fine week? You know, I, I'm actually doing very well. You know, you had a little, you had a little surgery last week. You know, I know. Had a little, I know, I know, but I, I recovered quickly enough that I'm back on the air, sitting down, happy, my shoulder's good. But Mark, forgetting about that, forgetting about the personal stuff, I'm excited this week because we are going to do something that I think has been neglected a little bit on our show. We have not gotten handsy with a hands-on review in quite a few. We've had so many great interviews that we haven't, you know, gone hands-on. Our listeners have been asking for it. We have a great hands-on review of a great product that, that I'm really excited about, and you're going to find out very soon why. But don't worry, we have a great interview as well, because we are going to speak to Ken Price from none other than Samsung. Mobile That's World right. Congress is happening this weekend. By the time you're hearing this show, you might have heard a lot of announcements already, but uh, lots of fun from big, big-name companies, and we are going to talk to Ken Price of Samsung. Um, on this week's show, plus, uh, you know, Mitchell, you know, I look back at this week that was and I try to figure out nothing really big happened in tech this week, did it? Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think, think I'm going to surprise you that a lot of stuff happened. And by the way, I know we have a bunch of listeners that are that are incredibly tech savvy, some uh, that want to learn more about tech. And for people that don't know exactly what Mobile World Congress is, happens every year in Barcelona in Spain. Beautiful location. It's a great show. And basically, it is the... The mobile, you know, the mobile platform, the mobile phone equivalent of, you know, what CES is to, you know, more consumer-based gadgets, what E3 is to video games. That's what Mobile World Congress Congress is to the world of mobile phones and now wearables as well. That's a big part of it as well. It is absolutely a big part. If you want to get in touch with us, please do so on Twitter. It's at Your Tech Report. Facebook.com slash Your Tech Report. Our email address is contact at YourTechReport.com. Mitchell, how do you... How do you End a week that was when some of the biggest companies in the tech industry take a stand against their own government. I, I don't even know where to begin with this story, but I think the facts are where we need to start. And you feel free to take it away. Well, uh, for people that haven't been following this, and listen, there are some people that have not been following this that, are, that aren't dialed into this stuff. Uh, we have the U.S. government vs. Apple. The U.S. <laughs> government versus Apple, and it's not exactly what you'd think. Uh, basically, the, the government, the U.S. government, wants permission from Apple for Apple to design a backdoor way in to break into an iPhone. Now, now, now it isn't in general. I have to make sure people know this. What the government is asking for, they're specifically wanting Apple to crack the phone of the San Bernardino 
the, the man in San Bernardino who killed, you know, went on a shooting spree in San Bernardino, that phone, they feel, has information that could help them with the case, that could show perhaps acts of terror that have not been committed yet. So this phone has come into evidence. They can't seem to crack the code because all Apple phones, as, as all Androids do, have a numeric code and a sequential block built into them so that if you try and enter the wrong code too many times, it will brick the phone. Apple's being asked by the U.S. government and by a federal judge to be able to crack this phone so they can look into its contents and see if there's information about this case and cases in the future. Is that pretty much what we're talking about here, Mark? Pretty much. So basically, you know, the the government gets a court order and says, Apple, you need to to get us into this phone. The fact of the matter is, is that Apple's encryption is built in a way that they, they can't do it themselves. The only things they can do is what they have done so far for the government. They've removed the limitation on the number of times you can try and enter a password so that the government hackers can try to get into the phone. But they're asking Apple to say, hey, build us a version of your iOS software that allows us to get into the phone. Apple is saying, we just simply can't do that. They're actually saying, no, this is not going to happen because if we build something like this, even if it's for this one case, it puts it out there in the world. And that one instance can open up the entire world and their entire ecosystem to being hacked down the road. And they're getting major support, not only by the public who are showing up at Apple stores, who are signing petitions, but you have people from Facebook, you have Twitter, you have WhatsApp, you have Google, Google everybody. Google, Google. Is, Google, their biggest, you know, <laughs> their biggest competitor is on board publicly tweeting saying, you know, Apple, we are with Tim Cook, we are with you. And Mark, let, let's let's be really careful here and make sure people understand what's going on here because the ramifications of this, we're talking about, obviously, privacy. This is all around, and Apple has been at the forefront of trying to maintain as much as they possibly can in a world where, in a world where everything's accessible, the touch of a smartphone button or, you know, you know haptic screen, uh, everything is accessible, and Apple's doing their best within this environment to make sure privacy is protected. They've been saying this for a long time, but Mark, here's the question and here's the issue that I have. We are both parents, correct? I know we have a lot of people that are listening that are parents. Yes. We are both very protective of our children's safety. We're very tuned into that. As a parent, especially of younger kids, you get very dialed into protecting and safety and making sure. So when you think about this, if it was, let's say, an act against a child and there was stuff on the phone that could help you catch a criminal that either hurt or is attempting to hurt your child or a loved one, how would people feel then about saying, you know what? I'd want to be able to have access to this phone if it means being able to prevent a future crime, solve a current crime, ease ease the burden or the mind of someone that's gone through something terrible. So I'm sort of conflicted here, Mark, because there are laws in place right now. The government, for example, cannot uh, go into your car without cause. They can't go into your home without a warrant. But once cause and warrants have been established, the government is able to go into your car and look for evidence. They are able to come into your home and look for evidence. Why shouldn't they be able to do the same with a device if it means solving a crime. And this is the problem that I have. I'm all for privacy, but I'm also all for doing the right thing and protecting people now and in the future. So how do you feel about this? Let me read a quote from Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple's letter. He's the one who brought this really into the public light when he responded to the FBI's um, request. And and, and here's here's what the the letter says. And, And just some quotes of it, okay? The government would have us remove security features and add new capabilities to the operating system, allowing a passcode to be inputted electronically. This would make it easier to unlock an iPhone by brute force, trying thousands or millions of combinations with the speed of a modern computer. The implications of the government's demands are chilling. 
if the government can use the All Rights Act to make it easier to unlock your iPhone, it would have the power to reach into anyone's device to capture their data. The government could extend this breach of privacy and demand that Apple build surveillance software to intercept your messages, access your health records or financial data, track your location, or even access your phone's microphone or camera without your knowledge. This is what Apple is saying, that if they gave in to some kind of demand like this, this is the kind of power they would be putting at the government's hands. Right. And and it scares it scares the bejesus out of me. Because no, it's scary, yeah. Again. You know, a lot of people, a lot of conspiracy theorists believe that the government can do this anyway. And I think with, obviously, the, the history of the past couple of years with Edward Snowden, we've realized that there, there were programs trying to get this kind of access that were denied. So, you know, I, I think when it comes to an opinion on this, I'm definitely on the side of Apple and everybody else and, and that you can't, you can't open the door for this one instance. You know, you can't go back and stop the events of the past, nor could you really try to, uh, you know, could have stopped them before. You know, things happen. They happen. And the other quote from this is that, you know, Apple wants to clearly state, you know, we were shocked and outraged by the deadly act of terrorism in San Bernardino last December. We mourn the loss of life and want justice for all those lives who were affected. The FBI asked us for help in the days following the attack, and we've worked hard to support the government's efforts to solve this horrible crime. We have no sympathy for terrorists. This is a this is a, a very very it's difficult. It's a difficult line to be on because <laughs> they feel exactly as you feel. You know, we want to do anything we can to stop terrorism. It's not acceptable, but there's a a point in time where you have to say, at what what risk what is being risked to do this and then who's going to be affected by it yeah so i mean the technology you know it's funny that this is what brings together the technological leaders of our kind you know in in solidarity from one particular instance like this and, and i get this and just to be clear and i want to reiterate what mark said at the beginning it's not like the fbi and the u.s government are not saying to apple you we want in all future iDevices, devices we want you to build in this back door so we can that what they're asking is in this one case can you build us something that can get us in and what mark is saying also is yeah we know you're just asking in this one case but once we do it, once the technology is out there, we cannot undo that technology. It yeah. will be in existence. People will have the, the government can, uh, you know, can, can look at it and sort of say, OK, uh, what, what, what if we re- reverse this, you know, go through the process of now we know how to do it now. We, so I get it. I get it. But, Mark, I'm very conflicted. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. Listen, terrorism is, is disgusting and horrible. I'm a New Yorker. I grew up with that view from my window growing up of the World Trade Center. So I have, there, this whole thing is, you know, it's very close to me as well. At, at the same time, I was never one of these people that complained about, yes, it's inconvenient in an airport to have to take your shoes off. Yes, to go through the scanning machine and hold your arms out there while the thing rotates. It's inconvenient. But if it means people not being blown up in the air while they're flying and, and you know, and kids and families being hurt and in the middle of a battle that, you know, that you cannot see coming, then I, I kind of deal with it. But this thing, this is a little bit different. It's like George Orwell's worst nightmare, 1984, but now Big Brother would be in your pocket. That's what we're talking about. Big Brother would now be in your pocket following you around everywhere. At the same time, uh, if they can have access and find out if there are terror attacks coming, do it. So, as you can see, I'm, I'm really, I don't know what to think about all this. Well, there, there is a solution, and there's someone that came forward and said, you know, I can get Apple out of this quote-unquote mess. And uh, John McAfee, the um, multi, multi, I guess, billionaire and the creator of McAfee's antivirus software, right. he made an offer to the FBI in a, in a public article saying, 
um, that it'll take us three weeks. If you want to get us that phone for free, free of charge, we will break into that phone for you. It'll take us only three weeks. And if he can't do it, he says uh, he would eat his shoe on the Neil Cavuto television show if he can't break the encryption of the San Bernardino phone, he added. So um, uh, they should do it just because yeah, it would be great to see, see a video of a man eating his own shoe. Worst I, case, it's a win win. <laughs> I mean, if they crack it, we get the information without Apple having to change their policy. And we get, you know, the information on the phone. And if he can't do it, we get to see a man eat his own freaking shoe. I mean, it really is a win win. Go for it. And take, that, his, take, uh, his, take his offer. And that's what we call Mitchell a natural segue from something very serious <laughs> to something absolutely asinine. All right, here uh, we go. <laughs> which explains uh, a lot of our show, doesn't it? Yeah, well, Going from that, the serious to the asinine on a daily basis. Yeah, here we go. So, so a bunch of other stuff this week that was kind of fun uh, in the news, as opposed to not being fun in the news. Um, with Mobile World Congress, as we talked about around the corner, Samsung has already uh, announced their Gear S2 smartwatch featuring a new eSIM technology. So let me break this down. A SIM I was card. Say, tell us what an eSIM is. Well, Mark. let's let's talk about a traditional SIM card, which is that small yep. chip with the size of a, a thumbnail, really, that goes in your phone that says, okay, depending this, on which one you have. Yes, yeah, the, the micro. Yeah, the micro SIM, which is the smallest one, says this phone belongs to this network and it ties your phone and that device to your actual plan. Well, an eSIM is basically an electronic SIM. It's a programmable SIM card that is literally the size of a pin of a needle. That can it's a chip that goes on a phone. So dramast, dramatically reduces the amount of space it takes in any device. And because it's programmable, um, if people adopt the technology, which a lot of companies have been, you can basically pick up a phone and say, okay, I want to use this with any carrier, and you can use that with any carrier. Quite honestly, it's kind of like that electronic serial number, the ESN, that every phone has anyway. Right. But it, it's, it's an, it, it takes on the characteristics of the SIM card, meaning it's programmed to one carrier at a time. So that's being rolled out in the new Samsung Gear S smartwatch, but we're expecting to see this technology also roll out in a whole bunch of phones this year, which is great because, as I said, it reduces the footprint and the size and the need for another port to get stuff in your phone. Exactly. And, you know, you think about the size of a micro SIM right now. It's not that big. If you open up a phone, in, in, in our minds, it doesn't take up that much room. But when you think about an entire system being on a chip smaller than, you know, half of your fingernail, you realize that room is at a premium. And you talk about putting it in a wearable like a smartwatch, Mark. Smartwatches do not have the room in the chassis that, that a phone or a tablet have. So taking even something the size of a micro SIM out of the equation does free up room for more information from not for more information for more technology to be built into these devices especially a smartwatch that's a huge thing so a small a small a sim- seemingly small thing ends up giving huge rewards in terms of space in that device so you know we talked about obviously this is how technology is going to affect the devices of our future which is great because i think a lot of companies are focusing more on design and i think we'll talk about uh, talk about that with Ken Price when we bring him on from Samsung after we take a break but well, let's talk about some other internal components because Sony has announced a new 20 22.5 megapixel sensor. So a camera, obviously, for a smartphone phone with a three-axis stabilization. What this means, Mitchell, is... Oh, well, if you, if, you, uh, if you listen to our show, we love talking about drones and three-axis stabilization. Basically, you know, on a drone, the camera hangs down from the bottom, and when it stabilizes three-axis stabilization, whether it's going forward and back, left, right, or turning left or right, uh, it is stabilized on all fronts with tiny motors that compensate from these movements on these three different rotating axi, and probably axes. Um, so, yeah, so having it actually built into the internals of a camera means you don't need an external sort of gimbal. You know, this has implications of the drone world too, doesn't it? 
major implications in the drone world, but think about just the smartphone. You know, we've all gone to our phone as our go-to, you know, point-and-shoot device. So imagine throwing on a 22.5 megapixel camera, obviously something we have not seen, I mean, other than a couple Nokia phones that have been out there. Um, but with the stabilization, the, the quality of image you'll be able to capture, especially on the video side of things, let alone the stills, is going to be absolutely insane. No shaking. I mean, that's the main thing no, that it exactly. does. It takes away the shakies. It, it makes anyone a better photographer. God bless my mother-in-law. Wonderful. I love her. She's great. <laughs> Can't take a picture to save her life. So, you know, we always joke about it. Right, Charlotte? Hold the phone right here. Do not move. And, of course, inevitably, it's out of focus, even with these high-end phone cameras, you know. Um, but, yeah, Mark, this is going to be huge because anyone can take a picture without worry, especially doing, you know, if you're using your phone for, let's say, shooting a video or shooting a movie, you can do these same sweeping shots that, that, that cameramen do without worrying about seeing any camera movement. It's, it's pretty huge. It's a big thing. It is. Apple announced this week a brand new trade-up program. So you know they just announced their installment program last September with a new iPhone, which allows you to basically lease an iPhone and get a new one every single year. Now they have a new trade-up with installment program that uses that same leasing program but lets you bring in any type of phone. doesn't have to be an iPhone. And lets you, whatever value they're going to give you for that device, they're going to let you apply towards your installation, your, uh, your installment program on your new phone. So if you are looking to upgrade to a new iPhone, whether it be something new that will be announced shortly or something new to be announced later this year you can now use your old devices to bring them in it doesn't really say if you can maybe take every single one of your phones you've had for the past 10 years bring them in and get a free iphone but i'm gonna try you know, of course you will. And a couple of little caveats here. Number one, unlike some of the other deals where you can pay off the phone in a year, I believe it is locked into a two-year plan. This trade-in is a two-year plan. I don't think it's flexible in terms of length of time like the other programs we have seen before. And the other thing is, uh, in terms of the value of the trade-ins, Mark, I did read something about this that said uh, they will have a fixed price for a phone regardless of the internal memory. So they will give you the same amount of money for a 16 gigabyte model as they will for a 64 or 128. So you're not going to get any more value. And listen, that could be a $200 range in value in terms of what you paid for it. So for a lot of people, you still might want to look at eBay or these different companies to sell your device because you're going to get more value based on the internal storage. They will not give you more value for internal storage for this trade-in program. Mitchell, the phone is ringing. Ken Price from Samsung is around the Ooh. corner right here on your tech report. Follow us on Twitter. It's at your tech report, facebook.com slash your tech report, and contact at your tech report.com. Stand by for Samsung. Your tech report will be right back. For gadget news and reviews, click to your tech report.com. Welcome back to your tech report. Welcome back to your tech report. I am Mark Flalo of Montreal. He is Mitchell Whitfield in Los Angeles on Twitter. It's at your tech report, Facebook.com slash your tech report. And our email address is contact at your tech report.com. Uh, Mark, it's no secret that, uh, listen, wearables are a huge deal right now. Uh, we've been, I won't say we we're at the forefront in terms of reporting on them, but it's been something that's been special to us for a long time. We love talking about not only the mobile platform, but the wearable platform. And, and, and I think most people would agree now, if you're talking about a company that innovates on the mobile side, uh, for all you Apple fanboys out there, we are not talking about Apple. We're not talking about HTC or Motorola. If you're talking about innovation on the mobile side, Mark, you are talking about Samsung. We've talked about, I mean, am I, am I kidding? Am I lying here? We've been no, talking about no. this on the show forever. We've been talking about Samsung way before there was a, was an Apple. Yeah, and, and <laughs> t- so we're going to talk 
if we're going to talk about wearables and the mobile platform with, you know, with someone at Samsung, why not go to the vice president of product management and development when it comes to the mobile sector? His name is Ken Price, and he has been nice enough to talk with us today about what Samsung has been doing and maybe will be doing in the future. Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Mitchell. Hey, Mark. Thanks for the opportunity. You know, Ken, Samsung was one of the first, you know, in our minds on the, to the market with, with wearables. You know, we talk about the gear lineup. So we're now several generations deep into this lineup. So what are the lessons, the takeaways that you think the company has learned about what consumers want when it comes to a wearable? Well, thanks for that opportunity. Well, I think, first of all, we, uh, you know, the first generation, you're right, was in 2013, and it was the first gear. It had, um, you know, I'd say it was a functional, you know, masterpiece in terms of what it was able to do relative to anything before it. So it really made a statement about what was possible and set the bar that way. I think uh, what we probably have learned is to blend more of a fashion sense into what we've done. So if you look at that original gear, it was fairly square-faced. Um, you know, it had a camera built in, but the camera, you know, created a build of, bit of a bulge on the band, for example. And I think the user feedback was great from a utility point of view, but in terms of, you know, as something I would want to wear every day or as a piece of jewelry, there are things that you could do. So I think we moved along, and if you look at just that gear, for example, we, you know, have made the Gear S2 out of more premium materials and something that maybe would be, you know, more acceptable from a fashion point of view. And I think that was the thing for Samsung. We're now in the fashion business, you know, and, and, the, and the kinds of alliances and partnerships, you know, for bands and designs that we have has expanded over time. And those, that's probably the biggest lesson learned was the blend of fashion and function uh, that's really led our, our decision-making from the original Gear to the Gear S2 now that we have. Well, you know, Ken, one of the things you guys also do, and Mark <clears throat> talked about in, the, you know, in his original question, was being responsive to your audience, being responsive to the consumer. And I think there are other companies out there, which shall remain nameless for the purpose of this interview, that sort of tell the consumer, this is what you should want. On the other side of the coin, you have Samsung, your company, that really listens to what the consumer needs and isn't afraid to give it to them. H- has this been an MO with you know being responsive to your audience and not holding back features for the sake of holding them back? You guys really give your consumers what they ask for. Yeah, I believe that uh, you know every every iteration that comes out is uh, it comes through that observation. To your point, you know even some of the the decisions on what gets pushed from the device to the, the you know the relationship between let's say the the smartwatch and the phone was based on that around trying to create experiences that would be different than, let's say, what you could do by the phone alone. And that was really the first gear. And, you know, why, for example, we built a camera in was because we noticed that it took a while at that time, based on processing and so on, to get, you know, to get an image into focus and to quickly take a picture. And whereas if you're wearing something on your wrist, you could easily do that quickly. Uh, and that tur- So that was the idea of it, and it came through, uh, again, all of our experience in smartphones, all the feedback we get from, from our customers and, and from the, end, the people that use the product, to your point. And I think we've always been unafraid to kind of move ahead, you know, in that original, you know, even the decision to, to, to change what is the basic operating system and to amend that because we felt like we started with Android and, and really respect what Google does. Obviously, they power our smartphones, but we looked at you know, some of the devices that we're going to be building an ecosystem around, even our relationship with smart TVs, and decided that we would be better off to advocate for Tizen, which is what we've done. And that is directly 
related to trying to be responsive and to, to build the functions that we know our customers want. Ken, it's like you're answering the questions that I that I have for you before I even ask them. So, <laughs> you're killing us, man. <laughs> you know, so, so as you said, originally it was running on Google's wearable platform, but it has now moved to the Tizen platform. Was that a hard decision to make, or or was it all about the entire ecosystem? Well, I think you have to consider, you know, and we also know that, um, you know, maybe different than the audience that's attracted to other platforms. We, our, our audience is very active. You know, that's been from the very beginning. The Android, you know, family, you know, as we have come out, we, we really respect all of the feedback we get. Um, you know, sometimes that works well and sometimes you're on the, on the other end of that stick. But in any case, we have a very active audience that, and we knew that if we made a decision like that, we would get feedback and there would be questions. And I... But I, I think what our belief was, when you, when you got outside of the phone, that you were delivering more of an appliance and it would be less important. And, and as long as there was the same aspect of control and customization, which is, you know, a big part of big theme within Samsung products, which you noted, um, you know, as long as that was delivered, uh, as long as we were able to do that and be responsive and, and make it, you know, and, uh, you know be efficient and, and quick to market, then we felt like that was the right trade-off. And that's what we felt we needed to do in moving to Tizen. If you just joined us, we are talking to Ken Price. He's the Vice President of Product Management and Development in Samsung's mobile division. Ken, I just want to piggyback and jump back to something because every, everything you're saying triggers another question, another question we had. Uh, I want to go back to how you approached and basically changed your MO uh, with the with the gear line. Now, I think you guys realized early on, and this is to Samsung's credit because I think a lot of company missed the boat on this one, that wearables would not take that next step until they had a certain level of autonomy. Meaning, as much as we love that they're tied into our mobile devices, it's nice to not have to have your uh, you know, your, Sam- your Samsung Galaxy S phone with you when you want to use your watch. It would be nice to have full functionality of that device without necessarily being tied in. Uh, do you feel that this is moving forward going to be a huge development, not just the evolution of your products, but in the sector in general, having that level of autonomy so these, these, these products are not tethered to a device. No, I think you're absolutely right. You know, and with the Gear S, we we introduced the ability to have a separate SIM, um, you know, a separate identity. And I think at different uh, points around the world, you're at, at different ability to sort of manage that from a wireless perspective. I think we were just out ahead of what, you know, could be conveniently delivered by the carriers in Canada, which is why the Gear S2 came out without, you know, without that option in Canada. But we're determined... I think at some point to have that reappear. So in terms of does that fit with Samsung's vision? Absolutely. And, and you know, to me, uh, you know, once the once the um, device on your wrist starts to do things better and differently, and, and markedly so than than the uh, you know device that you have in your hip, then then basically that will I think cause the category to take off. You know, and and, and we've addressed it. You know, I think through that through that separate identity piece and. Um, and I, uh, you know, and and down the road, I think you'll see that as part of our roadmap. Kenny, one of the things is one of the takeaways Mitchell and I took from CES this year was that design is really taking a, a, a major front seat to everything else. And you said it yourself, obviously, with the evolution of the the gear line and all Samsung devices, all the way to the televisions to you know frigidaires, et cetera, et cetera. Design really is front and center. Do you? Is, is the reason, are we at a, at a point where design can come first? Has technology caught up to the point where we're not worrying about necessarily the size of components restricting the things we can do on the design side? 
Well, I think first of all, people buy a piece of technology to solve an issue or to, to make something better in their lives. So I think that function still trumps fashion. But I think all things being equal, you know, people are, you know, as my kindergarten teacher once taught me, neatness counts. Or, <laughs> you know, in some sports, you know, you get a technical impression and an artistic impression score. So I would say that's true in terms of devices that are so personal. You know, and I've I've worked in different tech roles, and I'd say, you know, the mobile phone and the wearables, so that's the most personal of all, you know, and becomes even more of a reflection of who you are and what you're trying to project. So we, we need to fit in with that. I think we recognize that part. But I think if you come back to the beginning, you know, what, what is the issue that, you know, what is the function that we're solving? What, you know, does it help me in some way related to either, you know, improved information, uh, notification, security, health, you know, those are still the, the functional drivers that cause people to want this in the first place. Ken, if you were to look at the, the wearable, the gear lineup, what is the functional need that that watch fulfills? Is there one or is it unique to every single individual? Well, I, I think that, you know, there, there are a couple of themes. Like, you know, when we look at this in terms of the app, I mean, first of all, there's no, you know, there is a relationship to some app on that, you know, from your phone. So from a notification perspective, that's still probably key. You know, I think what people have observed is that it's, you know, to get calendar updates or that or something's come in or a message, the ability to look at that, respond to it, um, this is important. Um, but, you know, we've also extended that in ways to notification about your favorite sports team through the NHL app that we have. And, I mean, all, there are all kinds of other ways in which that is, uh, is delivered. And I'd, I'd say that's still the primary reason why people buy a smartwatch, let's say, on top of their on top of their phone. And then the second part has been certainly health related because there's, there's monitoring and monitoring that can be done through the wrist. Um, and in that position can, can, you know, take certain measures. And, and I think people are, are figuring that part out and making commitments to trying to lead a more healthy life. And so, you know, we've built that functionality in through our S health app, but we also tie to other applications, you know, that Nike and others, you know, deliver, let's say, um, you know, to, to make that part, because that, that seems a natural, right? You know, to have something that's 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 doing that kind of heart rate monitoring or is keeping track of the amount of activity you have to make you more aware of it to do a better job. So I think those are the two primary in the in the current use case. Those are the two primary pieces. But where where this is going, and where we do have examples in other countries, is for things like payment. You know, which is something that obviously is, is something that that Samsung has introduced in some countries as well, and in Korea, for example. And, you know, down the road, I think you'll be able to see that kind of functionality. And that's where I think it even becomes more convenient than, than anything that we have, including cards or wallets or, you know, apps on phones to be able to accommodate that kind of thing. So those are, those are sort of the, the, you know, some of the use cases we see where there's a strong case for a wearable. Hey, Ken, I want, I want to get back to mobile payment in a minute because we're seeing a lot of great commercials from Samsung right now talking about being able to make payments even where the vendors didn't know they could accept mobile payments from Samsung, which I love. But really, uh, I, run, I want to take it really quickly to VR, which is a huge, huge segment, another different, different type of wearable from the wrist to the head. A lot of other companies we're hearing about, you know, they're coming out with their hardware this year. They're spending a ton of money on R&D, on getting the product to market, and they're putting out some hardware that's going to be rather expensive to recoup their costs on. These are expensive headsets. It seems that Samsung realized pretty early on, hey, wait a minute, all the tech that we need for a VR experience is kind of built into our Galaxy S line of phones. We have the screen, we have the great processor, uh, and this kind of allowed you to not only get, you know, your VR headset out to market faster, but also at a much lower price point, yes? 
Yeah, and you know, I think uh, you know, first of all, there was this uh, you know this you know great individual Palmer Lucky. I mean, lots of stories told about him, the founding of Oculus, and right. what he did, and his search for the perfect you know VR prototype, and that, how that introduced him to what we've done with our Super AMOLED screens and our knowledge of micro you know processor technology and so on that got him introduced to Samsung. And I think that was a that was a, a key for us. And I think the the insight. Uh, between our two companies was that there would probably be two models, you know, one that is going to be for the very, you know, high-end person who will be, you know, willing to sacrifice a bit of convenience and, and pay more money, you know, need to have a high-end PC, have tethering, and right. then, you know, but then have a have an experience where they're probably gesturing and interacting with the, with the uh, you, you know, particular uh, experience that they're going through from a VR perspective. But there was a whole other audience, a mass audience, that would would probably see that as either too expensive to invest in. So why, you know, couldn't we create something that already leveraged an investment that you've made in the phone? Because essentially the phone provides a really great screen and has the processing horsepower. And that's what our insight was around the VR. And so we've done a couple of generations, a couple of tied very specifically to a, a certain model, but now we have a version out that's basically 100 to $140, depending on the country you're in, you know, add on to to the handset. So you, you're taking an investment, you're adding it on, and you can experience this, um, you know, and, and get a really good idea about what VR looks like. And there is there is the ability to inter- interact in a, in a sense of games, game pads, that kind of thing. It's not going to be the same as buying a full high-end Oculus device that'll come out, you know, later this year, but at the same time, it's a way to experience it. And we have yet to see anybody let down by that experience as we go to to, to show this off in trade shows and otherwise to see, you know, what's possible in terms of content creation, um, films, the ability to see things, you know, in the way that you see them in your life, you know, in a, in a full 360 way. It's been really amazing. And obviously for games and other things, it's also, you know, a, a great technology to exploit. So our idea was let's do something that leverages an investment, get it out there, seed it, which we've done in the thousands now, um, and 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 get people to really experience it, which is what we're proud that we've been able to do with the VR. Can people who, who approach me and ask me about VR who've never tried it before, I urge them to definitely go put on a headset and try it, no matter which kind, because you don't really grasp the full potential of what VR is going to do um, until you actually experience it, you know? So we seem to be at a point now where VR is going from, you know, a gimmick, you know, to becoming more mainstream. What is it? What is, do you think there's that one experience that's going to push it over the edge to make it completely adaptable? Well, I think the great thing is that there's lots of imagination uh, already starting. So I've had it, you know, it's also taken Samsung to maybe different places than usual. So we were talking and a chance to talk to young film producers, for example, about what that what that could mean in terms of telling a story. And in fact, we have on, on our VR, you know, in our VR store, you know, uh, uh, you know, the ability to download this mystery series. And, you know, you're able to provide clues and tell a story in a different way. And, and, you know, I think as more people see that, it's going to just fuel imagination for how things could be told differently or presented differently. That's what's really exciting. You know, and to be able to, or in another simple way, you know, Cirque du Soleil is obviously a famous, uh, you know, act that we have here. We have this, uh, you know, great company based out of Quebec who has signed, you know, who has shot, 
you know, with a three, uh, you know, shot what it's like to be standing beside those acrobats on a stage. <laughs> so that's an experience that you could never have in any other way other than through this. And once people see that, I think it's just going to fuel more and more imagination for how that could be, how that could be used. And it will be a different way of presenting than just on a flat screen. You know, the world, it is round. And, you know, you're going to see you're going to see the round world rather than the flat world that you're used to. And I think that's really exciting. And the really cool thing is just taking to the next next logical step, Ken. I mean, when you're talking about, you know, the different types of headsets, I mean, Samsung's VR is a great experience. And the funny part is, I mean, Mark and I have been talking about this, so where it's going next. We're talking about virtual concerts. If you can't make it to, to either New York Ranger games or your local Leafs or, you know, Canadians game, you buy a virtual ticket. These, these, I mean, you know, these are different kinds of experiences. You know, if you don't want to travel cross-country, if you have kids that are about to go to university, instead of taking that, you know, 3,000-mile trip, take a virtual tour with your Samsung VR. There are so many applications that, it, that can be used that don't depend on that six seven hundred eight hundred dollar headset that vr is absolutely perfect for yeah and to build on that actually you know i was talking you know we we were talking a little bit before the show about um about the nba and and you know i had a chance to see a, a talk about how technology and sports interrelate so you know the challenge that let's say a league like the nba has is that you know around one percent or maybe less of their audience will ever see a game live you know you could but you can yeah. reach so many people and give them that the excitement of that experience in a way that that would be different than just watching a, a television broadcast in a conventional way. So they're excited, and I I think you know it builds on your point exactly, which is to to create an even more you know a more complete experience for a fan of anything music or or any or anything you know uh, shows of all kinds or sports um, to be able to deliver that live experience in a in a different way to a mass audience really excites people. So I think that's another way in which this will build. Well, it, it excites us too, and it always excites us to uh, get to talk to someone like you over at a company like Samsung. Samsung, I want to thank you, obviously, for taking the time to uh, to join us. There, there's one, you know, we have to the elephant to the room. Is this, this is a big <laughs> event on Sunday at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona? Is there anything you want to tell us about that? Well, I think what I'd like to say is that uh, you know, sometime soon, I hope to come back on and we can talk all about it, and uh, I, people can can watch the live stream. We're certainly very excited. We uh, we think people will be very happy with what we have to say. Ken Price from Samsung. Ken, enjoy your trip to Barcelona. We look forward to catching up with you or someone else from Samsung next week after the announcements on Sunday. It is your tech report. I am Marco Flalo. He is Mitchell Whitfield in Montreal and Los Angeles. We've got way more to cover when we come back right here on your tech report. Email us, contact at yourtechreport.com. Follow us on Twitter at Your Tech Report. Like us on Facebook.com slash Your Tech Report. There's more Your Tech Report after this. For gadget news and reviews, click to yourtechreport.com. Welcome back to Your Tech Report. Or you can follow us on Twitter. It's at Your Tech Report, Facebook.com slash Your Tech Report. Our email address is contact at yourtechreport.com. A couple emails from people who are talking uh, headphones. They want to test out some Jabber stuff, so I've reached out to the folks at Jabber to see if we can get our hands on some of that stuff. Um, next week on the show, Mitchell, LG. We've been uh, chasing down these guys for a long time. Some cool announcements from Mobile World Congress, no doubt, to talk about. And, of course, thanks to our good friend uh, Ken Price there from Samsung. Um, who will be on the show again to talk about their announcements as well. There is no hiding the fact that there's going to be some uh, some Galaxy announcements. They've obviously come out uh, 
with invitations to their unpacked event in the Mobile That's World right. Compass in Barcelona. So I'm anxious to see uh, all the specs on the Galaxy S7, the S7 Edge, and all that fun stuff that we know he couldn't obviously talk about. So. Of course. Of course. We, we, we have to give him a pass on that one because we know about, you know, NDAs and all that stuff. But Mark... Let's talk about something that we actually are able to talk about in great detail. Now, just to rewind for a second, obviously we work with a lot of great PR companies that represent a lot of great tech companies, and we're always reaching out for different things to test and try. Our audience, our listeners, they're always asking us for specific items to reach out for, and we do, and we review them. But every once in a while... We get surprised by something, something we didn't necessarily know about. One of the great PR firms that we work with emailed me and asked me if I knew about Fugu Bluetooth speakers. And I have to admit, uh, at the time when, when I was asked, I did not. So she said, great, I'm going to send you these speakers and let me know what you think. Okay. Uh, let me just say, Fugu has quickly become my favorite, and I'm telling you this, my favorite portable Bluetooth speaker and Bluetooth speaker brand. It, it took all of a few hours of me trying the first one for me to be hooked, and I'm going to explain to you why, Mark, and this is really a special product, because I think what Fugu has done, they haven't just created a great portable Bluetooth speaker, you know, great sound, battery life, they've really created a new platform, something, it's an audio, it's a Bluetooth platform that we've never seen before. I think it's kind of akin to what GoPro did for action cams, creating a platform where they build accessories for it. I think Fugu has done the same thing on the Bluetooth speaker side. And the reason I say this is there, there are two models you can get. Um, we're, we're, for the sake of this review, we're just going to focus on uh, the standard Fugu speaker, which is a smaller one. They make an XL, which is an even larger model, but we're going to focus uh, on the Fugu, the traditional one. They make basically three different models of it. At its core, the core speaker is the same in all three of the models. Uh, and it can slide in and out of these protective shells that give it different functionality. They have the style, they have the sport, and they have the rugged. Obviously, all of them are waterproof, dustproof, all mil-spec speakers. But depending on what you know, sort of chassis you slide it into, it gives you that much more protection. When you have it in its most ruggedized form, and again, you can slide, you can buy the shells separately, you can buy whatever model you want, and then buy a separate shell for it and have a completely different look and completely different functionality. If it's in the most rugged version, it could be submerged into water. It could, I mean, it, there is nothing. Talk about a mil-spec Bluetooth speaker. This thing is amazing. On the smaller one, Mark, it's about two inches by six and a half inches by two and a half inches. It weighs under a pound. The most exciting part of this is the sound quality, because all this stuff wouldn't matter, well, right, Mark? That was going to be my question. What does it sound like? It's a, the sound quality is wonderful, and the reason for this is it has 360-degree sound. It has six drivers around, built around this thing. Exactly. It has 360-degree sound. Whatever direction it's facing, there are speakers that are going to be facing you. That's why the audio is so incredible. And you know us. Listen, we always have a soft spot for audio products because we came up in the audio world. We have a radio show. We've both been, been behind, behind the mic for decades. The sound quality is wonderful. And with a small speaker, you usually run into certain problems. Number one, they're not large enough to support enough bass or that the, the, you know, the high ends end up sounding too tinny because the size of this. I don't know how they did it, Mark. And you feel this thing. It's, it's got some heft to it. It's a small speaker, but it definitely has a presence in your hand. It's got a little bit of heft to it. This thing put out rich, deep bass. 
the vocals coming out because you know the bass obviously covers the, the low end, uh, and of course the tweeters will you know will cover the high end usually speaking voice, and the mid range usually handles everything else, right? Yes. Mid range is often overlooked because people are listening to highs and lows. They forget most music, most sound lives in between. And all three types of sound came through with pristine quality. And something you don't expect with a speaker of this size. The other thing I didn't expect is when you crank up the volume, that's where things kind of get shaky. That's where less expensive speakers kind of show that they're less expensive. And this speaker, even cranked up at full volume, sounded fantastic. Now, we're not talking about one of these, you know, $40 Bluetooth speakers. I will tell you, it does start at $179. But before you say, oh, value is a measure of what you get, <laughs> not what you spend. I always say this on the show. Mark says the same thing. I can spend $10 and feel like I was ripped off, like I didn't get my money's worth. Or I can spend $1,000 and feel like I got a great deal. The Fugu, the style, which is the one that I have here, which is um, $179, Beautiful sound, beautiful functionality. Mark, if you had to guess about battery life, how long would you think a speaker of this size, you know, like I said, two by two by six and a half or two by six and a half by two? I, I'd give it like five, five hours type five thing. Five hours, right. It has up to 40 hours of battery life. <laughs> so let me repeat that again, folks. 40 hours of battery life. And oh, the reason Lord. I call this, you know, a new platform and really a lifestyle product is if you're taking this with you somewhere, if you're taking it on vacation, Odds are you will never have to charge it while you are on vacation. That's how long. I don't know how they do it because you can only put so big a battery in, in a chassis this size. The battery life's incredible. It has built-in um, built speaker. I'm sorry, built-in microphone. Um, it also has a one-touch button on top. It has three of these you know, top buttons, of course, to control volume and uh, functionality. And the middle button actually lets you access uh, Google Now or Siri, depending on which platform phone you're using. That's so it can be cool. an excellent speakerphone. You can use it to control uh, Siri or Google. It is incredible. It has LED lighting to let you know how much battery life you have left. I told you, 360 degrees sound. It is waterproof, weatherproof. It can, you can drop it from up to six well, feet. That, it is. It's incredible. You know, other than obviously hiking and obviously camping and stuff like that, I can definitely see this as just a great tool for just having around the pool. And you know, when you're entertaining people, it's really really cool. Well, it's more than that because, like I said, as GoPro does with their accessories, that's what Fugu is doing. They sent us some accessories as well. You can They, they have a, a bike mount that they sent us, so you can have this beautiful audio while you're doing road work. They have a strap that lets you put it anywhere where you're exercising, and because it's ruggedized, especially in its most ruggedized form in the rugged version, you can take it anywhere. You can, be, you can mount it anywhere. That's why I think it's more of a lifestyle-slash-platform product that will continue to expand, and no one has really done this in the speaker world before. Fugu has. They've done it beautifully. As I said, it starts at 179 You can go to Fugu.com. It's available from different retailers, but definitely worth it. I mentioned they also have a wireless um, a wireless control for it. No. That, that also captures audio. I mean, it's, it is crazy. I suggest you look it up. Look at all the great accessories that come for it, that they make for it. Huge thanks for Fugu to getting these in our hands. And of course, I'm going to be following up with a review of the XL, which is almost four times the size and also an incredible product. But uh, the Fugu brand, I am hooked for life, and I'll be taking this wherever I go. Very cool. Coming up on your tech report, we're going to wrap up this week with a little preview of Mobile World Congress. And of course, the biggest toy fair was going on in New York City. And we're going to get into some cool tech gadgets that you won't be able to keep away from yourself or your kids, but mostly yourself. Exactly. There's more Your Tech Report after this. This is Your Tech Report. Mark Aflalo in Montreal, Mitchell Whitfield in Los Angeles. This is Your Tech Report on Twitter. It's 
your tech report, facebook.com slash your tech report, and the pages of your tech report.com, and our email address, Mitchell, is contact at your tech report.com because we love your emails. <laughs> governor, we do we love, love your, your emails, emails governor. governor. Thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks to, of course, uh, Ken Price from Samsung for joining us this week. Again, Mobile World Congress is happening this weekend or happened this weekend if you're listening to a replay of our show. Um, very cool announcements. Obviously, we're expecting some stuff from all the major manufacturers, but it's also a cool time to see the, the technological trends and where things are going. I think we're going to see a lot of waterproofing seems to be the thing these days that people are going for. Waterproofing yeah. and thinning things out and removing components and making things faster and quicker and happier. People like to get wet with smaller objects. That didn't sound right, did it? Not at all. So oh, the wow. other exciting event that just happened yeah. was the, uh, what do they officially call this? The, uh, the 2016 it's Toy, Fair. Toy it's Fair. Called, it's called Toy Fair. And this year's, of course, they go by year. Toy Fair 2016. And this takes place at uh, the Javits Center in New York. Same place that Comic-Con New York takes place. And Mark, you know, I, I feel like... I, I'm, I'm going to New York toward the end of March. I feel like I should have timed this better. Like I should have been in New York for Toy Fair because let's yeah. face it, uh, we love toys and tech toys and technology in toys seems to be the theme of this year's show. And if you look, now Mark, I sent you this link. I purposely withheld it from you because I didn't want you to get too excited too early on. But I'm looking right now uh, and I, there, there are five toys and if you want to check this out, you go to yahoo.com. Daniel Howley, he's a tech writer, tech reporter, and he picked out his five favorite things from Toy Fair and they all have a tech edge to them. So I just want to tell you about like five of these really cool toys that use technology. The first one is some, it's from Fisher Price. It's called Coda Pillar. Code a pillar. Now it's it's basically an electronic caterpillar toy, and it has LED eyes and okay. antenna. Looks and it's cute. Ma- it's really cute. It's made out of different sections, and it can go along the floor. But each of these sections, Mark, it's very clever. Is an individual piece of a puzzle that you can plug in in different sort of order to make the caterpillar body. And each of these sections is responsible for a different function or command. So basically, depending on how your child puts it together, they can change the functionality of this toy caterpillar. And it's an early, it's an early way of teaching kids how to code. The logic using behind their, coding. I, I, it is yeah. really brilliant. And it's That's only about $50. Uh, I think it's coming out very soon, but it's called Codapillar. And it looks really cute, doesn't it? It looks really cute. And yeah, you know, for example, things that each you know segment can do. You can turn left to go straight, right. play music, et cetera, et cetera. And I think they all have a button on the top, too, that let you actually control those actual features. That's exactly. really, really cool. But I'm I mean, really, really imagine cool. giving this to Taylor and, you know, a few years from now, she's sitting on the computer coding because she had this toy that did, she didn't know it, but she was learning how to program based on simple, intuitive motion. I think this is really cool. Listen, now you're way more prepared for this segment, so I'm just kind of looking at pictures and reading along as we go. All right. I see next is a $300 Barbie dream house. <laughs> listen, if, if, listen, have you had to buy Taylor? Because I had to get some math. I bought a dollhouse, but I did house. like Costco, and there was one for like $79. You put right. it together, it sits in the corner, and never touch it again. Right now, no, Samantha, I think she still likes her. She's 10 and she still will eventually, you know, every once in a while break out, you know, the Barbie stuff. And, you know, you put it together and it has, you know, the working little lights in there. So you put batteries in it. I think the one I got was like 129 bucks. I didn't get a great deal like you did. But I think everyone, you know, that's had, you know, a daughter or a son, anyone who likes playing with the Barbie dream house, you know, you're used to putting it together. Well, Barbie's dream house has gotten a lot smarter. (laughs) So now her dream house is a smart home, Mark. Basically, you can use your iOS or, or Android device to control the things in her house. You can control the LED lighting, a la the, you know, like the hue lighting. They make it for the Barbie house. You can remotely turn on her shower. 
so you can forcibly oh, bathe Lord. your dolls from a distance. I mean, they made a smart home with full, like, Wi-Fi controllable functions through your smartphone that you can activate with this. It, it, it's a Wi-Fi smart home for your kids. Of course, hey, the wh- price does jump from the $7,929 to $300 U.S. Dollars, oh, we've got to get one of these. I mean, tell me, it doesn't look really cool. Now, here's the thing. Well, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm just I'm picturing her dream house with a little television that actually works and has direct TV. <laughs> and I see a Philips Hue lighting kit in there with a little hub that you have to press the button to sync to your it's phone. Crazy. Maybe the doors lock and unlock with schlag locks. Maybe oh, this crazy. <laughs> as you approach it, the doors open because, you know, it has sensors and Barbie's wearing a special wristband. Oh, this God. is nuts. I wonder if D-Link or Linksys power this house. You know what? Uh, it's a great it's a great tie-in. It's a great opportunity for them to tie in and do a branding of Barbie's, you know, new smart home. Now, this next one is from Mattel. This one, I think, is maybe the most exciting to me personally. It's called the Thing Maker. Do you remember years ago they had the Thing Maker, which probably used a hot plate and a heating element in this goop that would harden up? Toys that would never sell today because you could burn your face on the hot plate and would yeah, never yeah, pass. Yeah, I remember that. I remember okay. that. Well, the good old toys that could hurt you, that, but they could never make today. Well, Thing Maker is a $300 3D printer for kids, or in this case, for a man-child. I would use this in a second. It lets you use an app on either Android or iOS to design whatever you want. Oh, that's cool. And then the thing maker will actually do a 3D printing of this this character you create. You could you could you could choose the textures and a rubbery and a hard plastic. It comes with two different spools of you know the thread that actually it spools of thread or the material that actually makes it and this is an incredible incredible thing. Okay, there's two more things on the list. We're only going to have time to get to one of them, and I, I okay. want to bring this one up because I did see this one, okay? I saw okay. the Active Motors. It's a smart cart. This thing looks like a small go-kart, but here's the cool thing, okay? Using the Active app, you can control the speed. It has built-in uh, you know, sensors so it can stop with obstruction. Literally, you could stop or stand right in front of it. It'll, it'll come to a halting stop. Uh, top speed of 12 miles per hour. Uh, sensors throughout the whole thing. $700 the price point. A parent can actually set a geofence so it can't leave the, the, the your backyard. So they, I mean, it's incredible. That's it's insane. Yeah, it's insane. Check our Facebook, check our Twitter. Uh, all that fun stuff is right there at your tech report on Twitter, Facebook.com/slash your tech report. Thanks again for joining us. On behalf of Mitchell Woodfield, I'm Marco Flalo. Your tech report. You've been tuned in to your tech report. Join us again next week for another edition, and be sure to follow your tech report online. Email us contact at yourtechreport.com. Follow us on Twitter at your tech report. Like us on Facebook.com/slash your tech report for the latest in breaking tech news. News and reviews yourtechreport.com The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, at NBC Sports. 
Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.